we are at the penultimate stage of the book of Ephesians. We have started from chapter 1 where we talked about the blessings that the Lord has given us and his intent that we would experience him. We also talked about the reason why God did bless us in the second part half of chapter 1. Chapter 2 talked about grace and the grace plan. The crux of the matter of this book is in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But in chapter 2, we spoke about God's grace and it was captured in verse 8 and 9 where it says, um, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that anybody can boast. We also did talk about the, 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 the mystery that this grace, grace plan um, unveiled to us. It unveiled this mystery. And the mystery we read in verse 10 is that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known in the rulers, to, sorry, made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, we'll be moving to what we call instructions. So there was the explanation of who Jesus Christ is in this grace plan. And so today we'll be talking about from chapter 4 verse 1 three, through chapter 6 and verse 9 is instructions on how to live. In other words, it, there are indicators, indicators of what somebody who is walking under God's, God's grace plan. And then lastly, from verse 10 of chapter 6 to the end, will be discovering more about how the person who walks in the grace plan should be prepared in place of adversity and spiritual warfare. I also gave you a tool, and the tool was, uh, Barry, if you can just put it up, the tool was once we're reading uh, the Bible, um, the thing that we need to be able to do is ask ourselves uh, six questions. And the, the six questions are, who is the letter written to. When you say who is the letter written to or who is the chapter or the book of the Bible, 66 books in the Bible, ask the question, who is it? Now, in this day and age of, uh, of Google, these are questions that you can begin to answer. Who was, who was the author? Uh, who was the letter written to? Who is the author of that? Uh, why was this written? Uh, when was it written? Where was the letter written? And what was happening? What was going on in that context? It will help you appreciate a lot of what the history and the intent around that particular book of the Bible help you understand even more to interpret what application you can put in your context today. So guys, here goes chapter 4. Are we ready? Tukotayari. All right. How many of you like, how many of you guys here like birds? Any bird, bird watchers? Ornithologists? Cindy, that's what they're called, ornithologists. Yes, yes. Guys who like birds, all right? All right, all right. Now, guys, Kenya is one of the most blessed countries in the world, all right? If you go to the museum of National Museum headquarters, they do have their display, okay? When we say museum, there is the, the research side of the museum, all right, where there's a lot of research going on there, and then there's the displays and all that, right, at the museum. Where I come from, this is yes, and this is no. Museum, 
Where's museum? Museum Hill. See what I did there? <laughs> right. So, there's a section just for birds. How many of you guys have been to the National Museum and gone to the bird section? And you've just passed all those birds. Okay? Guys, do you know, there's nowhere else in the world that you have that big variety of birds than here in Kenya. That is how blessed we are. Birds. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, room of just birds and birds and birds. Over 1,200 different species of birds cross Kenya, migrating. Guys going south, others guys. This is like Machako's bus stop of birds in Kenya. And my shags, you know what, I have to always go to my shags, yeah? There are over 400 different birds, species that migrate there, some are domiciled there, but migrate there. And during a year, if you're a bird watcher, you can watch many of them. Do you know there's a bird watching competition? Do you know there's a bird watching competition in the world that you look for certain number of birds? I'm just saying this. Guys, I'm going somewhere. It's, it's within the someone, okay? All right? So, in May 1970, an edition of Science. Science is, a, is, a, is an academic journal. These two people, scientists, P, PBS Lissaman and Carl Schollenberger of the California Institute of Technology in Pasadena, California, published some research. Did I say published? Published. They published some research on the formation of flight of birds. And their research was mainly on the Canada geese. Okay? If you can put that together, Canada geese, not Canadian geese. If you say Canadian geese, you'll get all the geese of uh, geese, single goose. Okay? But Canada geese, they observed that their, uh, their flight patterns of these geese took a V formation. Okay? They were observing this flight efficiency on this V formation that they had, and, and the birds kept on flying in this, and as they were flying, they actually began to prove scientifically that this was actually a very efficient way of flying, as opposed to flying solo. So when you see birds flying, the Canada geese were the ones where they did that, it is actually something that they're doing to improve efficiency. As the birds flew in groups in a V formation, the birds, the lead bird, would cut the air for the rest of the flock who are behind it. Okay? And one bird would success, successively do it for the bird behind them and all that. Okay? And this V shape, one behind the other, just uh, below, they were just below the other bird. Okay? Now here's the physics around this. This is the thing that fascinates me. This allowed for the bird at the tail end to use the least energy of all the birds. So the bird ahead would cut and form an, an aerodynamic vortex that would lift the bird that would be behind and all that. So the V formation is actually more inclined like this. All right? And so they just do that. Very fascinating. Research showed that the V formation improved flight efficiency by 70%. And the birds then exchanged leads after the, a certain bird or the lead bird got tired. It went to the back. And then another bird came and did this. Now, guys, 
This was not taught to the birds. They just knew it. It is in their what? That's what again, D? It is in their DNA. When they were hatched and they learn how to fly, they just do it. It's in their DNA. Okay? And here's the thing. When there was a bird that was either sick or injured and it came down, two birds in that flock would just come and chill with it. It is in there. It is in there. DNA. This avian behavior is observed not just in these Canada geese, but in other animals. In the insect world, we call it a survival instinct. They work as a unit so that they would be able to survive. So these past couple of weeks, we've been looking through the book of Ephesians and we observe the similarities in the circumstances of the church in Ephesus and, and where we are today. Last week we talked about the, 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 the mystery behind God's plan, the grace plan. We call the grace plan the guaranteed, reconciled, accounted for, uh, commanded and eternal plan for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so today I'm going to ask, is there a DNA of those who are the grace plan? Is there something innate that the Spirit of God should be working through us that can be displayed? I want to suggest to you, Paul was alluding to that in chapter 4 through, through chapter 6. And today, I want to discuss how God's intended grace plan was to be executed and activated. I call this a V formation, the DNA of those who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ under the grace plan. So, and here's how chapter 4 honors still chapter 6 verse 9. Two. The first 16 verses actually lay the foundation for the rest of chapter 4, chapter 5, and the beginning of chapter 6. So let's try um, and read chapter 4 uh, through verse 16. I'm reading from the New International Version. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of those calling you have received. Let me repeat that. Chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort uh, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as we were called to one hope when you, were, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to them. And we read this in Psalm uh, chapter 68 and verse 18. Who does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Who descended in the very one who ascended, sorry, is the very one who ascended higher than all, have, all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe? It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and teachers, watch this, 
to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Write it in our hearts, Lord, pray. So guys, I'm in the place of just using uh, acronyms here. Check the word LOG, L-O-G. And here's what I want to be able to summarize these 16 verses. I want to suggest to you that verse 1 through 6, Paul is telling us to, to live a life worthy of our calling. And here's the thing. You cannot profess what you don't possess. You cannot profess what you don't possess. So there's a place that you, you need to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. So there's an understanding of, of, of the lordship of Christ and who Christ is and embrace it. And, and Paul here is, has first said that he is a prisoner of this Christ. And he calls us to live a life worthy of that. Our, our becoming of worth of that. Now, in our family, all right, we, my father when he looked at the report card, he didn't care if I was number one or the last person in class. He didn't care. He says, I, I don't care. Just tell me that you worked your best and number two, that you got an A in English language. <laughs> That's how my father was. And there was a time I brought an A minus and there was a family meeting and the family meeting was to laugh at me. I remember I was in Form 1. Anodera, Gowi, you have brought an A- minus in English to our house. How? Who in the world brings an A- minus in English to our house? You are an Odera. You have to know, all right? So if you did know my father, my father had an impeccable command of the English language and also Kijaluo and also Kiswahili. And he says, if you are to speak the language, know it very well. I'm like, okay, hey, all right. So I want to begin the same. When it comes to knowing you, who you are, knowing the Christ, it, it behooves you to live a life worthy of holding that title or that that label of being a Christian. Now, I don't like using the word Christian. I don't like identifying the word Christian because of a lot of baggage that it comes with. But, you know, all conventions and understandings call a Christian a Christian. But because when you call yourself a Christian, you bear a very big label. Now, the term Christian was actually 
a derogatory term when it was first used. I said, these are the Christians people would laugh. The way we used to make fun of guys who stay in Rongai. But now Rongai is, we, don't, we no longer make fun of Rongai. Because Rongai now is naive, all that. That's what I say, but still me. Or the way we talk about guys of Arsenal. You are a guy. Somebody does something upset. Ah, that's an Arsenal fan. You know, that's the way we do it, you know? So, much respect to guys of Arsenal. I had to go there. But, but think about it, guys. To hold that term or that label, that being a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to bring the honor that it deserves. And that is what is Paul is suggesting to the church in Ephesus. And then as he moves on in chapter, uh, chapter 4 and verse 7, he begins to distinctly talk about a blessing that the Spirit of God gives. That Jesus Christ, uh, dis he died, descended, and rose again. And, and he, he refers this in, in verse 18 of chapter 68 of Psalms. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And, and he it's giving that those days when, when, when generals of the army had won or kings had won a, a battle, they came back with the spoils of war and would give their loyal subjects and followers these gifts, the spoils of war. So indeed here, what the, Paul is saying that Jesus died and conquered the grave. Hallelujah. He conquered death. Hallelujah. He conquered death. He overcame all those challenges that humanity goes. And now that he has risen up from the dead and he has conquered that, he now bestows his people with gifts. Some he calls apostles, others prophets. And we can continue to see it in, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 1 through about uh, verse 12. He, he talks about gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, again, he talks about different gifts of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 12 from verse 3 uh, through verse 13, he talks about different gifts. All in itself, God gives us gifts because Christ has conquered, hallelujah, you are blessed. And we talked about that again in chapter 1. There are blessings that the Lord has given those who are in Christ. Because he has conquered the grave. So know and, and, and get to know the gifts that the Lord has given you and operate in them. That's why we try and give you as many opportunities to serve. We may not do a, a good job here at NCLA, but we are trying, woye. We are trying. During our volunteer um, uh, breakfast that we had here a couple of weeks, Winnie, if you don't mind me just sharing this, Winnie shared with us that she was a, a, a great singer in, in high school. Mulienda Music Festival. Analienda Music Festival. So she has a musical gift. Some of us think we have a musical gift. But Winnie does have and she blessed us today. Hallelujah. That she is ministering to us the word of God in sung worship. I, I don't know if you guys are seeing where I'm going with this. So she's used that to enhance our worship experience here. Using a, a pleasant and beautiful voice. Some of us just sing at home. Or sing in the crowd. Because if you are... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, you know, you have headphones on and you're singing. You know, you're singing and then you, you take off the headphones and you're like, hey, yeah. But I have a meme about that, but it's, it's come to it. But you understand what I'm, I'm talking about operating in your gift. Tukopamoja, guys. So God calls us to operate in that gift. And so there are those what we call ministering gifts. And there are also spiritual gifts. And we need to be able to distinguish between the two. And maybe given the opportunity, we can be able to express that to you. But you definitely do have a spiritual gift that the Lord has given you. Discover it. Figure it out. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you if you are not aware of it. And begin to operate in them. Because it says... You are being prepared for works of service. Verse 16 goes on to say, as we grow in our faith, which is the last part, we need to grow in our faith. Invest in a life worth living for. Once we use our gifts, we now begin to expand these truths, these, this knowledge into our spiritual gifts. And from that, it brings back great fruit, good fruit, fruit that will last. So Paul was, as, as, was, was, was trying to be able to, to make this point clear to his audience, to his readers, that we can activate this V formation to be the real church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and, and this real part of Jesus Christ, people are going to begin to see. Once you live a life worthy of your calling, operate in your gifting and grow in your faith. It is important you do that. It is important. It's important in the sense that this is how we begin to see you living out the DNA of somebody who is under God's grace plan. As I shared with you, I come from the lake region uh, and, and it's a beautiful sight to see uh, birds flocking in this V formation, especially when it's over the water, Lake Victoria, Nam Lolwe, as we call it, especially during sunset. As the sun sets on the horizon, these birds flying in the air, going to roost in their V formation, a beautiful sight. This is what I want to suggest to you that Paul was alluding to, that we who are under the grace plan should look like when we're operating our LOG, living out our faith, worthy of our calling, operating in our gifting and growing in our gifts. And I hope we can, I hope you guys are getting me, okay? This is yes, this is no. If it's no, just do this, I'll figure out and I'll, I'll try to go back on what we're saying. We might not have the opportunity to, to, to delve deep into these things, but I'm, I'm looking forward for opportunities where we can have um, teaching moments, especially online, where we'll talk about more of these things. But this is to give us a tool of understanding chapter 4. And from this point on, Paul now begins to give indicators of the DNA, V-formation. Indicators, they are instincts that, uh, that a particular animal has. Evasive, this, you know, evasive um, um, instincts uh, to survive. Adaptations that they have, they have acquired. Did you know why a zebra is striped? Did you know? A zebra is striped black and white to survive. Because there are predators, mainly the lion. 
sees in black and white. And do you know why the zebra are always in a herd? Do you know why? So, in a herd, many of those black and white stripes, you can't figure out which is the zebra from which one. You understand? So that's how they survive. So when a zebra is isolated from the herd, now this predator can see, ha, ah, that is one zebra. So every morning or every time, a zebra must outrun, okay, the lion. And every lion, in fact, the zebra prays, God, please let me not be the last. Okay? And the lion is praying, God, just show me the last zebra. But you see, there are adaptations that they're having. Okay? One is to survive, the other one, they're both survival instincts. But it's within their DNA. And guys, I want to begin to just share with you as we go through chapter 4 and we'll continue doing it. Please read through. You'll begin to see some of the things that are distinctives of a person who is under God's grace plan. Let me show you a few. I think there are about six that I've, I've pointed out. There could be more. One, distinguish yourself from the crowd. We see this in chapter 17 through 23. Now, it is not uncommon. He wasn't writing to a Jewish community who, was, who knew about what happened to Israel back in the day. But I want to suggest to you, if you look at the book of Genesis all the way to the book of, uh, of, of, of Deuteronomy, God continues to caution Israel not to be like the nations in Canaan. They needed to live a life that distinguishes themselves from the crowd. Now, many of us believers here do not interact with non-believers. In fact, we avoid them like a plague. But could it be that when we are called to be the salt and light of the earth, it is to be a testimony of God's grace of our lives. So we need to distinguish ourselves. Like Israel that was told to distinguish themselves, we are also called to put off the way that we used to live. Live not as our context is. And at that time, in Ephesus, we talked about this is a sexualized sexualized society. This was a, 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 a uh, a context where, you know, I, 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 win you, I win at all costs. Okay? A man-eat-man society in, in Ephesus. We also, we also saw in Ephesus that they were, they were full of idolatry in that particular place. Likewise, we as believers today, uh, say somehow, if we all live such a distinguished life, Maybe L.A. would never be the same. Maybe our families would never be the same, especially those who do not know Jesus Christ. Our neighborhoods would not be the same. The city of Nairobi, I dare say, would not be the same if we live distinguished lives. Now, now that you are under this grace plan, what is uniquely different about you? Sociologists say that it takes less than 3% of a population to effect a lasting change. 
let's activate that DNA. Like the Canada goose who have that V formation. Maybe we need to distinguish ourselves and live such distinguished lives. And number two, put on the new self. We see that in verse 24 through 32. Unless you accept that you were once an object of God's wrath. We read that in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. We were objects of sin because we were in sin. We are sin. And, 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 and we have issues that need to be brought to the throne of grace. We all have our issues until we accept. Just like a, an, an addict is told the first stage of recovery is to accept that you're an addict. That's the first step. We need to accept that we are under the curse of sin because we are sinners. And then look for a wardrobe change. It says, put on the new self, verse 24. You will have no reason to change if you don't accept that you have an issue. Paul calls his audience to do this. And he points this out. Stop lying to your neighbor. Control your temper. Work towards reconciliation. This is in your relationships in verse 27. Work faithfully and diligently. That's verse 28. Verse 29, mind your language. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial to those who will listen. <laughs> Believers, we are gossipers. We love Mushene. And the best way we do it is now on social media. We just forward anything that we hear without fact-checking. We need to be different in those WhatsApp groups. Extend grace to one another in verse 32. It is, it is a deliberate and conscious action that we must take. Taking off what was old and putting on what is new. This is a new life that we need to do. Like taking off a jacket or a coat and putting on a new self. That is what he was using. That's the analogy he was saying. Change your wardrobe, your spiritual wardrobe that will now begin to affect your own character. Be imitators of God. We see this in verse 1 through 5 of chapter 5 as we move on to the next chapter. It is best embodied, guys, in the person of Jesus Christ. In the life, death, and resurrection, resurrected life, rather, of Jesus Christ. We need to mirror this. It has to be. Jesus modeled it. And he imitated God. Live a life um, of love, which Jesus did. Live a life of, of sexually pure, sexual purity, which, which Jesus did. Avoid greed. Those get-rich-quick schemes of plots only to fuel your greed. Avoid those things. Mind your language. And with a caution he gives in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things, he says, God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. Number four, live a life as a child of the light. It starts with our thinking, with our speech, and also with our actions. Verse 8 through 14, we see this in chapter 5. The light brings goodness. It brings righteousness and it brings truth. Once again, it brings 
goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, you've heard people say, we want to speak truth to power. But sometimes when we speak truth to power, guys, we just shame them. We want to look right. But the difference between you, who's under the grace plan, and the activists who are shouting hakiyake, hakietu rather, siyake, yetu, all right? The difference is this. Watch this. The difference is this. You recognize you too are under God's wrath and judgment. Had it not been for Christ. So you're not going to go and shout for your rights because they're your rights. You shout for them because this is what God demands of us. That you know you yourself are a sinner. So you do it with a lot of grace not to prove that those who are your leaders or those who are in positions of, of, of decision-making power are, are, are wrong, but to say that this is what God demands of us. The English word that encompasses righteousness are two. Captures two things that what the Greek translation would put it. The Greek terminology of righteousness embodies the word right with God and right with our fellow man. That's what righteousness is. So we have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with those we interact with. That is what righteousness is about. As children of the light, we seek to please God. As opposed to be complicit with darkness, we expose the wrong, the rot, the lies, the injustice in our society. We do this by living morally upright lives. So you can do it much more in how you live than what you say. So, just don't overlap. For those of you who drive, don't overlap. Alright? I say, no, I'm going to be late. Just start your journey earlier. Don't overlap. And when you overlap, you overlap with your kids in the back of the car. And your kids are saying, yeah, mommy or daddy, you are driving fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what you're just teaching them? Darkness. Because you're not teaching them the consequences of our sin. We do this by living morally upright lives, faithful to our commitments and our responsibilities as being a responsible citizen, as being a responsible a member of our community, as being a member of this faith community. This is what gets us the credibility to speak truthfully, activating that V formation. Let me close with two last observations here. Be wise. I just alluded to it, but chapter 15 and verse 21, Paul is very clear about this when he's giving instructions. He says, um, uh, guys, live wisely. What does live wisely mean? Three weeks ago, I gave us an analogy that dead fish swim. Hello? Do you remember that analogy I gave? Dead fish swim with a current. Yes, I was telling you how fish on the river Nyando that are lives swim the opposite way, against the current. They go upstream. But Paul challenges us to make the best of opportunities. We read this in verse 15 through 21 of chapter 5. The best opportunities come our way when we are swimming against the current. The best opportunities come when we are swimming 
against the current. And these opportunities are opportunities to give God the glory, not for our good per se, for our own exploitation. He gives examples of being a drunkard and how this leads to wasted opportunities. I have a friend, a good friend of mine. I've known him for many years, decades. <laughs> and he told me, he told me, we're in a group of people, he told me I, I, why he stopped drinking. Okay? And it wasn't a spiritual reason. You know, you can go and quote scripture, you know, this or that. It wasn't a spiritual reason. He was in the, he was in the construction business. <laughs> and he saw, at that time, a bag of cement was about, I think he was telling you, it was about 450, almost 500. And a beer, okay, was about 100 shillings at that time. Okay? So he says one bag of cement is five beers. And every day or every other day, he would have maybe five or six beers and on the weekend, he would have more. And he, would, and he just, you know, did the math that he spent anywhere between fifteen to 16,000 a what? A month on the consumption of alcohol. So now do, somebody do me that quick math here. Uh, 16,000 divided by 500. How many, what is that? Somebody help me with that. 16,000. Who can do that over here? Is that what? Eight? What is it? 16,000 divided by 500. Somebody do that math for me, please. 32. All right, yes. 32 bags of cement. He said, I am not, I am not drinking again. Because every month, I waste 32 no, he says, I drink 32 bags of cement. So for him, the application, that is wisdom in itself. And he stopped. He stopped drinking. Till today, he calls beer cement. Two people I call my mentors. And I'm going to just be more on this being wise. Two call, I call my mentors or people who I look up to are very productive with their time. Now, these guys, if you call them after 8 p.m., you won't get them. They are fast asleep. And they wake up about 3, 3, 3, 3.30. And as we wake up, if we want to be early risers, you know, 5.30. All right? But they have two extra hours more than us. Than the average early riser. Okay? So by the time we wake up at 5.30, 6 o'clock, they are what? They've already had two hours. And those two hours they use to work, to pray, whatever they'll be able to do. But when you factor in your Sabbath day, and I'm doing the math here, when you factor in the Sabbath day of rest, this works cumulatively to 12 extra productive work hours a week, 48 extra productive hours in a month, 576 extra hours in a year. This adds up, guys, to a whopping 72 extra working days if you do a working day for eight hours, which is equivalent to two and a half working months. 
That is why one of my mentors is on his way to becoming a multimillionaire. And the other one is a celebrated global thought leader in the area of gifting. They did not get here by watching Keeping the Kardashians, being on TikTok. They were wise with their time, making the best opportunity. They used their time wisely, and over time, one has increased in their capacity to create wealth, and the other with their influence around the world. This is part of the DNA. Part of an DNA of living wise is why are you texting her at 9 o'clock at night, guys? Why? This is not wise. Why are you hanging out with these guys and you know their triggers? Uh -huh. Let's be wise. Why, why are you leaving your, your office? Is, you know you're supposed to get to the office at 8. You know it is a usual 45 minutes uh, commute. Why, why, why are you leaving without taking 40 minutes to get to work? So you leave. Work is at 8. So you leave your house at 7.20. So you live life without margins. Because anything can happen. Sindio. This roundabout here, over the past one month in the morning, has just deteriorated. Upper, upper kwa KWS, this thing by the people, it's just deteriorated. And so I use it to go, you know, part of my morning commute, and I'm like, really? The problem there is a cop. In fact, I need to just speak to the, the traffic man and say, guys, just let us be, man. That cop there, and this cop might be on a bad day. I'm an onai, you know. The cops just do it with their eyes. Yet, we know this about our commute. Why don't we just work with margins, guys? Sindio. So instead of leaving the house at 7:20 to get ahead, just leave the house at 7. So that if you have a cop who stops. Your mat that was commuting, you can get out of that mat and find another mat and go to work. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, guys, about being wise. This is what Paul was trying to tell us here. That is part and parcel of our DNA. And lastly, and this one I was not sure why Paul put this in a distinct area. But I'm beginning to understand this as I see how he referenced it. In chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6 and verse 9. He talks about the family. He talks about marriage and he talks about the family. I'm not sure why Paul put this. I'm not sure why he put this, but now I'm beginning to appreciate. He says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one. Referencing to that in Genesis, he says, Paul actually highlights that marriage and the family were the first institutions that God established. And this was in his plan. In communicating a specific principle to all of creation. Marriage is supposed to be a mirror of who God is. Of God's love. 
how we love and treat our spouse and how we live in our homes, parents and children and those who work within our home is supposed to be distinct. Guys, not many of us know what's happening. But guys, if for those of you who have family, immediate family who are not believers, do you know why it is hard, why you find it hard to share the gospel with them? Because they know who you are. So you can't come and tell them, ah, you know, consider this Jesus Christ. Yet they know what your weaknesses are. Where, where ni wokov? For real? I don't know if you see what I'm saying, guys. Where I come from, this is yes and this is no. And so it actually starts in the home. It actually starts right there. That's where it actually starts. Those who are working in your house, those who are in your employ, do you pay them a just wage? Do you give them off? Or do you work them like the children of Israel who are in captivity and slavery? Getting a pound of, I mean everything, a pound of flesh for them. Not giving them off. Do you treat them well? For those who have children here, are you modeling a life worthy of your calling, operating in your gifting and growing in your faith that your children would say, I want to follow Christ the way mom or dad follows Christ. This, guys, is what Paul is calling us to. Activate this V formation, our DNA, if we are under the grace plan. Father God, teach us more about what it means to be under your grace plan and how vital it is, Father God, to experience the fullness of your glory in our lives. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.